Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Scott, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for taking the time to join us. It's my pleasure. It's quite an honor to be on the show with you. Ah, Thank you. Well, you know, I've come across your work multiple times uh, throughout the course of the last several years. I mean, all the work that you do over at Creativity Post. And of course, you know, we had requests for you from our listeners. Uh, You know, I stumbled up on your book on Amazon, which I I have to admit I haven't read yet, but was very intrigued by the concept. So on that note, can you tell us a, a bit about yourself, your story, your background, your journey, and how that has led you to what you're up to in the world today? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I I wrote this book on Gifted last year that I that I knew that I had to write, and I wanted to get it out of the way before I went on with my life. It was really the culmination of many many years of reflecting and thinking about our educational system and and individual differences, how people differ from another, and how we either appreciate those differences or um, or mute mute them. And going as far back as possible. Um, my own personal experiences definitely played a role in my thinking about this stuff. Um, as far back as I can remember, I was always very interested in looking at people like on the playground, in the classroom. Why do why are some people faster than others at learning or at athletics? And um, and does that mean those who are slower can never do it? And I was one of those kids who was slower in the classroom. I had a I was diagnosed with a learning disability called central auditory processing disorder. Very young. I had a lot of fluid in my ears. Essentially, the first three years of my life, I was deaf. Um, I just heard this like whooshing sound all the time, and I think that was an indication to all the teachers that I was uh, stupid. And um, I, I really kept retreating. I re- it retreated into this fantasy world in my head. This really rich fantasy world of imagination and creativity. I would write stories about time travel and and act out soap opera plot lines and all sorts of things like that. And I, I, I it's funny, it's a it's funny interaction between teacher and student where the more that I, I felt as though the teachers kind of gave up on me because I wasn't able to keep up um, listening to the lecture in real time in the classroom. Um, so the more that I picked up on them kind of starting to give up on me, the more I started um, get the more creative I became mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways personally, but no one could see that. Um, it really took all the up to now. I was in special education. They placed me in special education. Um, I remained unquestioningly in the system until ninth grade. 
Um, and in high school, uh, midway through high school, there was this special education teacher who I think was the first person to really saw me and looked beyond the label. She had never uh, – she was covering for the regular teacher and she – took me aside and asked me why I was still in special education. She noted my frustration at taking this untimed history test that I had to take. And um, I think she also saw me daydreaming and looking longingly out the um, out the classroom. Across the hall was the advanced biology classroom. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to be a part of it. They actually wouldn't let me take that class, um, even though I wanted to take it, because they said didn't think I could handle it. Um, so yeah, and, and she really inspired me to, to try to question the system. And I took myself out, um, of special education and, and, and tried on my own to see what I was capable of handling. And I tried and signed up for everything possible. And I didn't do well in lots of things, of course, you know, like, like Latin scholar wasn't my thing. Um, dancing in the school musical was not necessarily my thing. <laughs> you know, there there's some things that did click, and I pursued those things with intensity. Things like uh, cello in the school orchestra. My grandfather, who was a cellist, taught me how to play cello. And um, psychology, I started, I was really getting into psychology. And I remember I, in high school, I was reading lots of Howard Gardner <laughs> and theories of multiple intelligences, and really getting into that. And I really uh, started discovering my identity for the first time and worked my way up. Uh, there's so much more to the story, but I, you know, after devising lots of strategies to to show my intelligence or what I was cap- my capability, I worked my way up to a, a PhD from Yale, which I uh, got in 2009 in cognitive psychology. Hmm. Okay, so uh, you know, having heard it in my my interviews before, you know that I'm going to want to dig back into all of this. Of course, of uh, course. There's so much nuance there. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. How do you condense a you know, a 35-year history into <laughs> five minutes, you're obviously just highlighting the the thing. You know, you're you're, you're missing so much of the of, of probably the the really important stuff. But yeah. you know, that's this is as much the highlight reel as I can remember it. Well, you know, what's interesting to me uh, is that even though you're sort of written off and teachers have given up on you, it seems like you maintain this level of self-belief throughout uh, that. Almost like you knew that you had a level of intelligence that was there that people didn't recognize. And part of what I'm wondering is how we overcome the labels that we've been assigned uh, in our lives from the people around us uh, based on you know past performance and past experience. Mm, you know, labels have been shown in cognitive science to really influence our perceptions of the world. So they can either influence us as we're teachers and or managers, administrators, whatever, uh, or perceptions of of other people. Or when we're given those labels, they fundamentally influence what we think we're capable of achieving and and our perception of our place in this world. So there there are deep implications for labels. They can be helpful. You know, we have a fundamental human need to categorize the world and break things up and. And, and quickly you know, and efficiently put things into boxes and labels. If we didn't have that capacity, everything would be this big uh, booming confusion. You know, and I believe that's a famous quote by William James. You know, so it is important in some ways, but in other ways, we have to be sure that we're not reducing so much complexity um, unnecessarily to a single dimension that strips out um, all the capabilities of all the other uh 
flavors of the ra- of the rainbow. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Flavor of a rainbow? Maybe that's not a go. <laughs> I always mix up my metaphors, but <laughs> colors of the rainbow. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that you, that you say that yeah. because what it takes me back to is uh, a story of of being in the high school band. And, you know, I, I don't have any particular natural inclination or musical talent. And I remember the day, <coughs> excuse me, that I picked up the tuba and the band director, for some reason, thought I, would, I was going to be really good. And he just expected that from me. And yes, because of that, I lived up to it. That's right. Expectations are so crucial. So crucial. There's there's there there's studies. You know, they're called ex, expect, expectancy effects. That's like the modern term. Um, there were there were initial studies in the 1670s called the Pygmalion effect. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yeah, I vaguely remember it. Yeah, where where, <laughs> where te- teachers were randomly assigned IQ scores from students, and they weren't real IQ scores of the students. They were just like, given random information, and those that were that were told by the teachers had better, higher IQ scores, did better academically at the end of the class than those who were told they had lower IQ scores. Even though those scores, those teachers did get that information at random, the teachers didn't know that. They thought it was real. Mm-hmm. Uh, it shows that – but you know, there are some uh, holes in those studies and some criticisms. But there's been enough studies now have accumulated to show that these expectancy effects are – Really, really important. Um, something that you know, magnitude of like a effect size of, of you know a medium of effects, um, in, or small to small to medium. Which you know, if we have any other kind of, um, there are lots of other variables that have small to medium effects. You know, um, in the learning environment that we put so much money to public policy um, to try to remediate. Um, you know, such as reading differences or um, or other kinds of learning disabilities. Yet we don't put much money into trying specifically address the low expectations. Recent study of, um, uh, of I think 800 or so special education teachers reported that they have automatically have lower expectations um, of uh, that students in their special education classrooms can handle the standard curriculum without even giving them a try. Mm-hmm. That's my point. You know, without even giving them a try. You, you immediately start with those automatic expectations. Um, students will do an amazing job of living up to them. Hmm. Well, let me ask you this. Um, you know, we talked about this from, from the, the perspective of labels. You know, many of us have been raised with expectations uh, from the cultures that we've grown up in, from the bosses that we've worked for. And sometimes those expectations are far below our capacity of what we're capable of. So I guess the question is, how do we let go of those expectations and come up with new ones that lead us to better outcomes in our lives and our careers? It's a great question. So much of creativity and achievement in life is is kind of creating this bubble around yourself, insulating yourself from others, the other world, other people's expectations, other people's um, emotional contagion. Um, this is especially important for people who, you know, 15, 20% of the population are what's called highly sensitive people. Mm-hmm. I think this is something I had when I was young. I think I still, I still, I almost won't use the word suffer from it, but, you know, it, it can be very positive in lots of ways for creativity. But I'm very sensitive to p- other people's emotional states and 
uh, and and expectations and perceptions. It's really quite interesting. I mean, if I'm around, if I'm in a room of people who I who I don't, I think don't think much much of me or think um, uh, just I'm automatically start with that I'm not going to to do a competent performance. Mm-hmm. I really do feel stupid. Like I really, even to this day, like that kid comes back. I really feel uh, paralyzed. Um, but uh, vice versa, if I'm with someone who, you know, it's it's the little things in life that really matter a lot. We I think we don't really appreciate that. If if you know someone smiles that I meet, I immediately feel comfortable. And you know, if it's a warm, genuine smile, I really like people who have warm, genuine smiles. I, I that's you know, I really like that. And it's like it makes me just feel like automatically like you know, cool. We just acknowledge we're both humans. You know, mm-hmm. awesome. Let's 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 begin. Let the fun begin. Um, so I think to answer your question, I think that it's really important for for kids, especially highly sensitive kids, to, who are highly sensitive to people's uh, expectations, and um, and everyone is to some degree, is to is to become your own self advocate, to insulate yourself, create this bubble um, around yourself as much as possible, where you become aware of your own um, limitations and. Um, and, and and strengths and you don't let other people's expectation so in such a fragile way contaminate that mm. yeah i think that's that's so true is is uh insulating yourself from the things that actually won't carry you forward and I, I mean I've, I've thought a lot about that in terms of, of you know what is in our environment i have a friend who actually sent me uh, a, a document about assessing your environment and he talked about one which was a virtual environment. He said, you know, look at who you surround yourself with on your Facebook feed. Look at who you surround yourself with on your Twitter feed. Are they inspiring you or are they draining your energy? And it, it's funny yeah. because we spend so much time in these virtual environments, but we don't consider the impact that they're having on us long term. It's so true. And we spend so much time trying to get uh, accolades or acceptance from from the wrong people, <laughs> mm. from the people that take us away from ourselves. Expand I know, I know, I certainly do. Expand um, on that. There's way more there. Of course. I mean, there's we our, our entire lives. We we could have a hundred you know people that will have open uh, open arms for us and welcome us and are just for who we are, and and yet we we tend to ruminate or obsess over the the one two percent. That don't have their arms open. We we should spend you know, for higher well being and happiness in life. We should spend so much more of our time um, not going against the grain, but going going with the grain of our of our nature mm-hmm. and those who accept our nature for who we are. I mean, and there's still so much more there, but. Well, I mean, the grain of our nature, that's, that's a whole other conversation, and we're going to dig into <laughs> that. But um, yeah. let's, come, let's come back to that. I, I, sure. I have a, a couple other questions. You know, it's interesting. Of all things that you mentioned having success at, uh, it was playing the cello, and yet part of your learning disability was a challenge with hearing. Um, you know, that, that is an, is, it, it goes even further than that. I ended up becoming a professional opera singer wow. as well in college, and... And there's lots of things that would count against me for that. Um, one being that I um, have a small mouth, it turns out. All my opera teachers told me they've never seen anyone create a vo- uh, uh, such a sound 
with I, I have a you know like a point five or something millimeter. I don't know a, a smaller mouth. Uh, someone told me, or I don't know if it's a millimeter or something like mm. that. Um, than the average person. Um, you know maybe has something to do with me being born prematurely. Um, the rest of me is just fine, by the way. But <laughs> my mouth, you know. Um, but yeah, and and there's so many things that like on paper and pencil could count against me uh, for singing. And and it's a common pat- pattern my whole life. There's so many things that that should count against me for doing well academically. You know, my IQ uh, measured when I was ten, eleven was was quite low. It was actually borderline mentally disabled. Mm. And and how the hell did I get a PhD from Yale? Right? Like, how does how does science explain that? Um, all sorts of my colleagues in in the field try to explain it away. They were like, "Oh, well, you're obviously high IQ, but you just you know like you were just maybe nervous that testing session or something." And I part of my message is like, "No, I don't think that's right. I I don't think that's true. I think that that we need to all recognize that we can all accomplish things um, not by Com- this compensation model that everyone seems to be working with that oh we're compensating for a low IQ or we're compensating for this no that we're capitalizing on other traits other characteristics um, that can um, by capitalizing on these other things we can make other characteristics irrelevant hmm yeah yeah no doubt well actually that, that makes a perfect setup for where I want to take this next let's talk about education okay yeah that's a topic I love <laughs> you know I mean, I, I like to joke that I'm a failed byproduct of the education system uh, just because I, I did everything that I thought I was supposed to do and nothing turned out the way I thought it was going to. I didn't get the results that I thought I was going to. And that's largely why I've ended up doing what I have. Yeah. And I mean, education is in such a state of flux. We know there's problems with it. We know it's not leading to its intended outcomes. And given sort of your perspective and your experience, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what the future of education looks like, what the problems are, and, you know, how are we going to fix this? Yeah, it's, it's, it, this is a question so many people are trying to answer, so many educational reformers and, um, and and I and the, I wish there were were there. Were, I mean, there's no obviously no easy answers to this, and so many people have different agendas mm-hmm. of what they think the most important educational outcomes are. I can, all the best I can say is what I think are the most important educational outcomes, and how to create a system that can enable them. I you know there's such a strong focus in education right now on standards. And um, so, like standardized test scores, and and everything, it seems to be gearing us up so we can get you into like the top one percent university, or like the best university, you know, because those universities are the gatekeepers to further jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Everything seems to have this very linear system. But what we neglect are things like, um, which in my field of positive psychology, we neglect engagement, we neglect well-being. Um, Fulfillment, meaning, purpose, which are the actual drivers of success in life, um, pro- both personally meaningful success um, as well as publicly recognized success. Often, the more that we that people can get personally engaged in something that is personally meaningful to them, there are higher chances of them having publicly recognized success. We don't need to immediately shoot at the goal of publicly recognized success, such you know, or these standards. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I think that what, instead of shooting for that goal, we should have more faith in the process, more faith that if we equip students with the, 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 the essential human drives, like satisfying their, their, the most human drives for competence, relationships, mm-hmm. um, well-being, need, feeling belonging, feeling creative, creative expression, that these things will come as, as an outgrowth. And there's so much research showing that these things do come along for the ride, but only when we really um, relinquish some control over the educational process, over the students, and give them more autonomy in their, in, in, in their learning process. So, yeah, there's obviously so much I can say about this topic. We talk about this for days and days. But I really do think it's important for – if we want to have some really like, like large-scale changes, you know, we need to all sit at this table and, and, and have some agreement on what are the outcomes that we really care about. What, what do we really care about? kids in the 21st century having we always talk about 21st century skills how many times do you hear that phrase mm-hmm. uh, well you know it's, it's a lot of his lip service because at the end of the day the public policies are not are not in place to facilitate or promote these 21st century skills if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers with Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Let me ask you this. Why do you think we're so resistant to changing education when we know it's a problem, when we know it's not leading to its intended outcomes? Yeah. Who's, who's we in that? You know, the, <laughs> everywhere I go, I, I give, I, I've been blessed to be able to go and, and talk to educators, teachers, administrators, and hear their perspective. And I am just amazed by, by how compassionate they are and how much they want to change. I um, was I gave a talk in Oklahoma the other um, couple months ago. I was in a I gave it after my talk my major my 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 mains talk. I then had it was in a special session a room where I did a Q and A with a, a packed room of teachers who asked the most brilliant questions and and were all like they were all in agreement like we don't want our hands to be tied so much. You know, we want we we see so much potential in these students that we're not giving them this opportunity, and it almost like they wanted a revolution. And when when we, when you ask that question, you say, you know, we, you know, I think we're the problem is there that the people that that hold the power, who make the decisions, who create the policies, so many of them are so out of touch with the trenches, with the reality of the classroom. Um, which is why I, I I try so hard to not presume I I know it all or presume that I have the answers, but to kind of let the teachers guide me in thinking about what are would be better policies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's it, I love that you brought up the idea that the the people who are making policies and people who are making decisions aren't actually in the trenches and they don't see the real no. effects of of the the choices they're making. And they're not talking to the students either. Yeah. They're not getting the students involved in the process. That's that's one that I, I've always said would be interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Accepted with uh, Justin Long. It's one of my favorite movies where the guy oh. doesn't get into college, so he creates a college. And what ends oh, up yes, I did see that. <laughs> yeah, he, he ends up basically uh, making a fake website, you know, buying this building, and somehow thousands of people enroll in the college and pay tuition. And he doesn't know what to do with all their money. And uh, Louis Black, the, the comedian, happens to be the dean. And he says, well, why don't you just ask them what they want to learn? And he appropriates all of their funding towards whatever they want to learn. And to this day, I've always thought, why won't an educational institution just for a year take a chance and see what happens if they did that? 
Wait a minute. Isn't there another is Jack Black movie called like The School of Rock or yeah. something where it's like the same premise? Kind of. I think The School of Rock uh, is more music-based though. Okay. I, I think one of those two movies I saw, that's mm-hmm. the one I saw with Jack Black in it and it really insp- I saw it on an airplane but it were like I was I think I was crying. <laughs> it inspired me so much. Yeah. 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 Well, let's do this. Um let's go back to this idea of the grain of our nature. Uh Sure. You know, for so long, we're we're brainwashed uh, into going against that. You know, at, for there's a there's a point in life I think where we hit some sort of turning point where we say, okay, you know what, going with the grain of my nature is uncomfortable. It may not lead to a guaranteed outcome. It's uncertain and it's very much discouraged by the people around me. So the question becomes, how do I get back to the grain of my nature in adult life, uh, even when it is uncomfortable? Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with Robert Greene's work at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, he's a he's a friend of mine and uh, really respect his work. He, his most recent work, book is called Mastery. Yep, and you know something struck me. He wrote in there a lot about how we're born with this this inner compass, this inner that we 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 keep piling in all these layers and layers of um, of externalities that keep us farther and farther away from that. But as young as like five, six, seven, we, 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 we have this inner like um, song that just wants to be sung. And, and that's why a lot of it, I said earlier, you know, we need to insulate ourselves and make sure that we listen to that. But I think even as adults, it'd be, it's very useful to get in tune and get back in touch with that as much as possible. I think things like solitude, reflection um, are really important uh, but we know it's really important for creativity. Solitude is very important for creativity. It's really important to uh, to have a return to yourself, as Anthony Storr called it, the, the the great English psychiatrist who wrote a book on solitude. To have a return to yourself and really get in touch with that inner compass, because we do tend to to lose it, um, or it tends to get very very diluted and and weak as um, other people's responsibility uh, expectations of our of our path in life are important. Another a real key to that is also not seeing life as a path, even though all people all around you are taking a path. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be very hard. I um, I found it very difficult in academia, which is why I've tried so hard to stay out of the the traditional uh, path of academia because I'm so scared of of getting on a path and then um, and, for, and forgetting that there or and not seeing all the other paths. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's such a, a, a brilliant concept, and there's so much there. You know, it, it's funny because I have uh, Neil Gaiman's um, "Make Good Art," mm. uh, the the book version of his speech, and he talks about this. He said, "You know, I didn't really have a career path. I just made a list of things that I wanted to do <laughs> in my life." And much like you, uh, that is something that I've struggled with uh, a lot, actually, uh, to see, you know, to to buy into the fact that, hey, all these people are on a path, and I'm supposed to be too. And I don't know that that's, that's uncommon. I think we all feel that to some degree. Yeah, we really do. You know, I, I think it's important to pick, like, sit down and, and write down all the things that you really, that bring you happiness and fulfillment and meaning and purpose in life. And then be, be a designer, be a life designer. Mm-hmm. Design for yourself a path 
that obviously can get you an income <laughs> of some sort. Right. Um, but you know, there are realistic things there. But but that also co- lets you combine all those things. And it might sometimes it might not get you income right away, but sometimes you know it's 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 good to do that. I can give you an example. Of my own personal life. I didn't go on the tenure track. The path, you know, when I got out of grad school, there's so much pressure when you're in grad school to, to get on the job market. Mm-hmm. And I did, decided I was not going to do that. I um, took a job as an a, a, a adjunct teaching at NYU and made you know maybe like five to ten thousand dollars a year <laughs> teaching. Um, trying to supplement, I wrote like crazy trying to supplement my income with like free, um, you know, um, what's the word freelancing? Yeah, mm-hmm. freelancing. And and I also remained – I was like, you know what? I'm determined that I will write this book, Ungifted, this book I've wanted to write my whole life. And I'm not going to move on with my life. I'm not going to do whatever it takes until I write this book, even if I – and ho- I knew I wouldn't be homeless. I mean I have parents you know, who, who worst comes to work. And I did end up living ho- at home with my parents for eight months mm-hmm. as I wrote this book, Ungifted. But I knew I had to get it out of my system and, and have this faith that when you live – with complete authenticity, when you live with complete um, creative, pers- creative expression that comes from within, that people will eventually resonate with it. That resonate with it. But pe- that people will. Um, that that when you put that out in the world, that it will have value in the world. That that someone will notice. Um, it's a lot more likely than when than the opposite case where you put constantly putting stuff out in the world that doesn't have authenticity. So. I mean, it's something that, you know, I eventually, and then five, six, five, six years, then this new job just landed in my lap. It never would have been, uh, you know, the, the great Martin Seligman, one of the greatest psychologists of our generation, founded the field of positive psychology, just basically plucked me up from NYU and said, do you want to run the Imagination Institute? And um, that opportunity, if I was on the tenure track of somewhere else, there are so many other ways in which that story, I would have said, I'm sorry, I can't. But in a lot of ways, the perfect job for me arrived arised when I just um, had faith that someday some opportunity would come along that I would be ready for. But you have to be ready for it. You know, the thing that really struck me out of everything you said there was that this book was something that you had to get out of your system and that you couldn't move on uh, until it was done. And I wonder if we all have something like that in us, um, that really is, is a calling of sorts. I mean, for me, that was, you know, putting our conference, the instigator experience last year, I felt that I have to do this, uh, and life won't be complete. There is something about this that is so compelling Mm -hmm. to me and so meaningful that no matter what, if it's done, it'll be a huge part of my life. And it ended up being one of the most meaningful things I've ever done. I always say those are probably two of the happiest days of my life. And I guess what I'm wondering is, can we find that? Is there a way to discover that or is that an evolutionary process? Is it something that reveals itself to you with time? I think it's something that that doesn't reveal itself right away. Mm-hmm. I think that we need to start – we're so in, our, in ourselves that we can't – we often don't see the pattern of our lives or or see how it all fits together until much 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 later but we have to trust our intuition in a way here i go, you know people might come down on me here i am a scientist saying trust your intuition but i i think in a lot of ways we we need to um 
to not just solely rely on our rationality and our um, what we think is the most logical thing. I mean, it's often the most logical thing is um, is not the right thing for us. You know, that's why we have to bring in our personal intuition, or we have to bring ourselves into this. And and what are we feeling about that that inner song mm-hmm. that 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 is that that we need to get back in touch to that we have in our childhood. And it's very important to, to, to for both to constantly flip back and forth between both. I I have very little patience, and I have colleagues who are just so hyper rational and logical and evidence based. And it just it's it it's just a personality clash because I I find that very frustrating because that's not how I want to live my life. I think that that as a scientist it's important to collect data, and I do. But I'd like to think that um, that. That as, as just as much as I am passionate about assessing reality um, through data is just as much a passion I am about about using that data to figure out what is possible. Hmm. Yeah, um, so true. You know, so let's do this. Let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, you mentioned the work that you do at the Imagination Institute, and I really want to get into what that is all about. Uh, you know what the background in you know your phd work uh was and how that led to this yeah it's a great question i mean there's so much in between there but mm-hmm. you know and i started to talk about this a little bit earlier when i told you about about this path like 2009 i got this phd from yale cognitive psychology and my best friend at, at yale Elliot Samuel Paul, who's a philosophy professor at Barnard College now, um, he went on the job market and he cleaned up. I mean, he's like an amazing, amazing philosopher, and I think you know he got like every job offer imaginable. And I knew in my head that I didn't want to go in the job market. I was like, you know what? I I really want to. I want to write this book. And so he uh, got this job in New York, started at NYU as a as, you know very a very prestigious philosophy postdoc slash assistant professorship at NYU and I was like hey bro like why don't we live together you know like um, I'll figure out when I get there what to do you know Um, and he thought you know he's like yeah oh my god how amazing would that be for us to like you know live in New York City and we got there and we we did live we did uh, he had he had faculty uh, housing so we was subsidized so I was in this amazing opportunity where I didn't have to pay uh, you know, we and we split it. It was already subsidized, and we split it. So, uh, and I contacted the NYU Psychology Department, asked if I could adjunct, and they they're like they welcomed me there. So I started teaching courses, started you know getting some sort of income, and I and I started having agents contact me. I went through a a bunch of literary agents till I found the one that was right for this book. I. Um, one of the fir- the first one that contacted me almost like a couple months after I got I just got to NYU or just got to New York City you know City Lights and I I get an email from Fifty Cent's uh, literary agent mm-hmm. and have this big meeting with him and I I you know kind of I saw stars right I saw like fame and you know he's like you know I really want to build my list of c- celebrity psychologists and I was and. And but I started realizing, you know, we started going in a direction that wasn't that started take again started taking me out farther and farther away from that compass, the book I wanted to write. You know, he, he had lots of other ideas that didn't sit as comfortably with me, and 
I had this like heart to heart with myself, and I was like, "Is this really the? Do I really want to get this far from my inner compass? Do I get this far with the hopes that I write out some book, it gets as well, and then eventually I can do the book I want to do, or do I keep trying and and uh, get through the book I want to do?" And I was very lucky. I got a uh, contact from my current agent, uh, Giles Anderson, contacted me and and said, "Hey, I read your stuff at Psychology Today. I really like it. Um, could we, you know, want to have a meeting about potentially doing a book?" And, you know, I was, like, keeping my options options open. And I was like, yeah, yes. I had lunch with him. The first meeting, I pitched the book idea in its raw form, you know, exactly the way I wanted to do it. He's like, what a great idea. He's like, "That's let's, let's do – let's work on a proposal. And, you know, I kindly told the other agent, you know, that I said, you know, I, I really would like to pursue this direction right now. I think I'm going to go with this other agent. And he, he I think he understood, you know. Um, and and we within a matter of weeks we banked out our proposal, book proposal. You know, got a contract, and I was I was starting to write the book uh, that I dreamt my whole life. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of lessons there, mm-hmm. um, but one main lesson for me has been that whenever I start to feel like, and you can feel it when you're going away from yourself, you really can. There's this uncomfortable feeling. There's this. There, there, I think everyone knows what you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, we're, we're all as human. You know what it's like, and and you could start. I could almost start feeling like I start quantifying the the percentage that it's going away from it. <laughs> and when it, when you start going a sail too too far, you know you're you're kind of adrift in that ocean, and and you feel like you're really losing track of of that compass and when where 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 what island you're traveling to. Um, and and you and 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 you and you stop listening to the calling of those who who can hear that compass. So this agent who I I uh, am with now, you know, he he really resonated with the inner compass, and and it, the best thing for me was going with someone who recognized that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean that's that's in a nutshell. Oh, okay, and then I guess you want go. I wrote the book, mm-hmm. <laughs> came out last year, and uh, and last year I had this. Uh, Big meeting with Martin Seligman, his grad student uh, Marie Fogyard, um, a dear friend of mine, um, was uh, going to run the Imagination Institute. But you know, she graduated. For, she was he wanted her to run it, I think, and she graduated. And he asked her, you know, if she recommended anyone or anything um, to to help give advice. And then I had a meeting with Marty Martin Seligman, and for the first time, and um, was basically offered the job. Mm. So what uh, what exactly do you do at the Imagination Institute? Because I'm very curious. And what is the Imagination Institute? Because I'm sure people want to know. It's a great question. Yeah, we started, uh, launched about four or five months ago. We got generous funding from the Templeton Foundation. And the Imagination Institute is is devoted to the measurement and 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 development of imagination in all sectors of society, uh, business, music, you know, the whole arts, humanities. Um, military, computer science, everything. Hmm. Um, we really want to figure out how we can increase innovation and creativity in these fields, increase the appreciation of these traits. Um, of course, education is a big one, one of my big pushes. And we're and we're going about this again with the the generous funding of the Templeton Foundation. You know, we we just held this grants competition where we're now reviewing um, hundreds of of letters of intent to be funded. Uh, f- that we can fund for research on measuring or developing imagination. Hmm. And we'll be funding uh, about 15 to 20 of these projects. Um, We're going to be 
having weekend retreats with um, with exemplars of imagination across various fields to try to really understand their creative process and how we can increase imagination among young people and uh, maybe have these imagination hopefully have these imagination festivals these big public events where people audience members can come in and maybe these these exemplars of imagination can be um, can mentor young mm-hmm. people we can hold like high school competitions for them to be mentored and yeah lots of other things in the works so i you know that's that's fascinating stuff i guess the question for me is uh one how do you measure imagination and then of course you know what can we do to develop it even for further so this is not completely new the the field of creativity has existed you know going far back you know 1950s you know guilford and his famous apa address made a call for more research on imagination lots of great creativity researchers um, have come you know paul torrens came up with a creativity test to measure what's called divergent thinking which is your ability to come up with many different ideas uh and possibilities so there are bits and pieces of 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 ways of measuring imagination and creativity a lot of it, a lot of these measurements assume that creativity is domain general. That it's something that cuts across various, lots of different fields of creativity. But there's most certainly, there are most, most certainly domain specific contributions to creativity. What it takes for me to do well as a dancer is probably very different than what it takes for me to well to do a scientist, to be a scientist, for instance, or even within writing, science technical writing versus writing a novel or writing poetry. Very different skills. So there's a combination of very general traits that cut across, like your ability for divergent thinking and your openness to experience and your your grit and conscientiousness and your motivation, being motivated. These things that cut across and they're things that are very unique skills to uh, to the field, specific field you want to to be good in. And I think in it, the, the the key in magic in, in measuring imagination is trying to include as many of these components as possible if we're going to try to forecast the future at all, which is very hard to do and, so, and some would say maybe impossible or futile. But you know, measurements – without measurement, it becomes very hard to, to know what you're improving, mm-hmm. right? So if you, if you want to do large-scale interventions or you want to, to, to really influence public policy and show that imagination and creativity is important, well, we need some sort of metric that A, we improved this thing that we're calling imagination and creativity and B, that had a causal impact on variables and outcomes that we think are important like creative achievement, you know, creative projects, uh, transforming your field, becoming a role model in your field, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So these things, measurement and, and interventions and development are, are so intricately intertwined as you can imagine oh yeah i bet well scott this has been just uh really really fascinating uh you know really blown away by your story so i'm going to close with our final question which is how we close all our interviews here at the uh, unmistakable creative what is it that you think makes somebody or something unmistakable oh what a terrific question i just got a chill when you said the word unmistakable because that word is a very power, emotionally resonant, powerful word that I think vi- vibrates at the core of 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 authenticity and of your of your core being. I think when someone is unmistakable, they have, in the words of what we were talking about earlier, have 
created such a strong buffer against them and and others' expectations and perceptions that that they are being um, almost completely driven by their authentic values and um, and drives. Wow, I love that. Well, Scott, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and, and share some of your insights and your story with our listeners here at the Unmistakable Creative. I mean, this has been really, really eye-opening and insightful uh, and inspiring, as I expected it would be. Mm. Thank you so much. It was really, again, an honor to be on the show. Yeah. And for those of you guys listening, we'll link up everything that Scott has mentioned in the show notes. So come and visit the website and we'll wrap with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolves. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.